Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Alias for another episode of The Banyan. Take it away. So, let's first give a round of applause to Samir Bayham. He's a terrific audio engineer. The man knows what he's doing because he's trained by the American Community School. So, a round of applause to two individuals there, Wafa Saab and my aunt, Huda Yashruti, Huda Shatah. We're in good company tonight. A fellow ACS alum, Bashir Jumblad. There you go. Thank you, Wafa Saab. <laughs> Anyone else go to ACS? I went there myself 25 years ago. All of my failings have to do with ACS. <laughs> I'd like to extend the round of applause to this gentleman here, Salam Zatari. Please, a round of applause. Thank you. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. I say this with emphasis because he's very patient with me. He dealt with me three weeks ago for two hours. We sat together. Yeah, I didn't. No, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed I, it? Uh, yes, of course I did. Good. And uh, I've, I've always had an interest. Uh, just, you know, interviewing you, what you're doing. Um, so, no, it was, it was lovely. Well, then I'll say... Uh, you you suck as a person. It was a lovely conversation. Yeah. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You suck Nowadays, at... we have to say, we're kidding. I can't be sarcastic anymore. No, you're right, actually. I do yeah. suck as a person. Yeah. <laughs> no. The reason I'm happy that you're here is because I think both of us, and this is private messages, but I think it's okay to talk about it. We were deciding how to talk about the situation yes. without coming across as arrogant or that we know what we're talking about necessarily. I took a decision to keep doing this in different venues, and I sensed that you were coming around to that decision over time. Maybe it took you a little longer, but you decided to do it anyway. Yes, I stopped uh, when, uh, when, the, when the war happened um, in Gaza, and before that, what happened on 7th of October, uh, we all, we just decided that we don't know what to do. Uh, you can't talk except about this thing. And there was a pressure from everyone uh, to talk about it. But I did not agree because usually uh, you need to sit, watch, observe, and then analyze, and then say your opinion. I don't like uh, emotions in, in this matter. I'm, of course, there's a lot of emotions. I've been crying for like two weeks, me and my friend here, um, especially about the, the babies, the kids, the, uh, the images of, of fathers holding their babies in a bag. This was very heartbroken. So you can't just talk uh, 
and uh, especially in the media, you have to be very careful about this. So that's why we stopped uh, the podcast for a while until we see what's going to happen. Is it going to be a full-scale war? Is it not? Are we going to be involved in it or not? Um, but people here, especially in the Middle East, are reactionists. They react with emotions. They don't, and usually I'd like to just think. I mean, I like emotions, don't get me wrong, but I just like to think. Um, see, the thing is, after 20 days or more, um, this war brought up a lot of questions and it put humanity, uh, consciousness of people under a test. And at the same time, it brought up a lot of emotions that you didn't know that still existed in, in, in some people's, uh, some people's hearts or opinions or whatever. Um, it's a horrible thing that what, what's, what's going on. Uh, and we are all put under uh, the test. So I saw a lot of people that uh, did not sympathize with um, the Palestinians in Lebanon. I saw a lot of people that um, they were trying to get the Israeli point of view. Some people were, and I tried to question them and I tried to just discuss and, and take the opinion. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what kind of baby or what the nationality is. Uh, as a human being, you have to be empathetic. It's all kids, you know. And, and that's the thing. So, and then I looked, who would not have empathy or sympathize with just, uh, you know, the scenes of kids getting killed and the parents and things. And and actually, that's the traits of a sociopath or a psychopath. You know, I'm not I'm not judging. I'm just I just this is what I researched and this is what I what I what I saw because um, even if I was watching a BBC documentary, me and my friend, and and I heard a story about an Israeli uh, kid, and we were before crying, uh, watching the images of of uh, uh, Gaza kids being slaughtered, basically. So, and then you saw this and then the father was talking and you still, you, you, we were able to, to uh, have empathy uh, because we have kids. Uh, but then the political aspect comes in and then this is where all goes into a big um, fiasco of thoughts, philosophies, ideologies. But here's the thing. I, I, I strongly believe, and this is, I don't know why no one is talking about this, but this war is uh, kind of religious from, from both sides. And, uh, and I, sh I think it should be discussed in the media that it's not about geopolitics, it's not about oil and gas anymore, it's, 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 it's about religion. It's about ideologies, it's about who would win with his ideology, it's about who God told him to do what, and um, and that's it. Kind of ends the discussion right there, you know. And I'm talking uh, literally, like for both sides. Um, Netanyahu came up and said something about uh, the prophecy of uh, uh, yeah. 
Isaiah um, Ashaya, uh, and then they uh, and then Erdogan called up for jihad. So at that point, you can't talk geopolitics anymore. What what do we talk? We talk religion. Well, who's who's going? Is it a thing for believers and non-believers now? Uh, a lot of questions. This cause. Why is it so? important and why is it so different than the other causes like in Armenia or Azerbaijan or in Russia, Ukraine, whatever. Uh, and that's the question. Why? Why did it move everyone in the world? Why is the world split now? So I don't want to react. I want to um, observe and learn and research. Um, but, but I'm very disappointed. You make my life easy because you're a gifted host. You're a podcaster. I could sit back this whole discussion and listen I'm, I'm, to you. I'm not a podcast. You're more of a podcaster than, than, than I. I just, I, you know. I'm, you I'm, know what you're doing and you're able to command a conversation. Yeah. It makes me more comfortable talking to you and listening to Thank you. Thank you. It's a rare occasion where I don't even have to start the episode. You just gave us a lot to talk about. But with your permission, I want to get into something that's more recent and then we can step back in sure. time. Something that I think is okay sharing, that you have a working relationship to a degree with Basim Yusuf. Yeah, it's a, it's a friendly relationship. Friendly yeah. relationship. And he's become his own sort of story to a degree with yeah. Pierce Morgan. And the second episode comes out soon. Yes. So most of us, I guess, saw at least snippets of that first round. Yeah. Where it was a very... It was a unique exchange. I don't think something like that has been done before. And that Besim Yusuf, he went all out, but in a way that was appealing. It wasn't off-putting. And I think that's a natural link to something I know you better for, which is satire. Yeah. Now, I think of him and still as a satirist, even when he's being very serious. And that episode, I could see it. And I think it starts this way, where he emphasizes a very dark humor that Pierce Morgan understands, but it doesn't, it doesn't register. Lose, it doesn't register. Yeah. And yeah. I think maybe that's a way of asking you, do you see your role in that world right now? And that you're taking maybe a step back from satire, deliberately focusing on the more serious. Yeah. But see, it's a different context. He went on um, in an interview. If you're doing a show, I could be harmful. Um, I mean, you can talk about mm. it seriously, but you can't make fun. You can make fun of, you, you have to pick your enemy yeah. and make fun of. And here's the problem here in Lebanon, it's, it's different, but let's, let's just talk briefly about Basim. Basim, what he did was brilliant because he used sarcasm and he used a couple of points um, and he reached out to all audiences. When he slipped a couple of Egyptian words, when, when he took out uh, when he took out um, the narrative of do you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn Hamas? He's like fuck Hamas. Took it out. It's like, let's talk about the Palestinians because not all Palestinians are Hamas. That was a winning point. And then he was very sarcastic, and then he used punchlines that went viral. Like, you think Israel are, are, are uh, Superman, 
but they're just Highlanders. This is what this was brilliant. Yeah. And I know for a fact that he did prepare for that. He did. Uh, okay. He did. He, yeah. did, he prepared before. He obviously he had was, an exchange read yeah, sheet with yeah, him exactly. too, and, and, yeah. and that was good. And that helped out a lot. It yeah. helped him, and it helped uh, the people because it went viral. Yeah. People just wanted to listen, and they're like, "Oh, he made sense." And then the most important thing is that they made people that go after uh, what he said and research uh, about this thing, like what's what's been happening for the past, you know, fifty years. Yeah, and that helped out a lot. So this kind of, if you will, it's a dance, I think, of trying to use a weapon, which is satire, yeah. but knowing its limits during a very tragic time. Do you find yourself doing that too? It doesn't have to be public yet, but are you leaning on perhaps what we know you best for? Here's the thing. I became, um, the past three, four years has been very dark for me. Um, and I believe that people are not accepting anymore. Like, um, they're super sensitive. There's a, the cancel and the woke culture ruined it for all. Um, so, and in this topic specifically, it's, it's a very device, a divisive uh, uh, topic. Yeah. Uh, all over the world. But it's simple and clear, you know. Uh, and here's the thing. The problem is now what we're dealing is with the right wing and the left wing. With centrists like us, um, it's like a lost case. Uh, no one would listen. Uh, in Arabic, they say, No voice uh, heard over the voice of the battle. Uh, so whatever you say now, it doesn't matter. Uh, because there's a battle going on. So you can't criticize, you can't make fun, unless you pick a team. And we can't. Here in Lebanon, I just discovered that, uh, no, this thing is divisive between the Lebanese themselves. So, for anyone that didn't catch our exchange a few weeks ago, it's on Huna Lebanon. Huna Lebanon. It's, it's online. I'm not going to repeat what we said earlier, because that's a good, solid exchange of the Lebanese terrain. I'm going to try to avoid repeating anything. If you catch me doing so, just remind me that we said no, it okay. already. Uh, that CNN stopped, is it seven years ago? Six? six yeah. Uh, because uh, we went uh, when we did BBC and on LBC and then we stopped. So it was uh, by 2018 when the election. 2018. 2018. So it's been five years of a more serious tone. Yeah. At least in your, in what you're expressing. And you've gone into podcasting too. I mean, yes. I, I think that's fair to say you are a podcaster today as well. And I, th I think that there are, there's still a way to express satire, but it has to, it has to be done right. And I think Bassem Yusuf used it to a degree because he was, he was uh, exactly he was. Um, it was not an emphasis on satire. Yeah. It was a serious thing, and whenever he wanted to make a point, he used sarcasm. Right. And that was a, that's a winning combo. But let's say BBC or CNN were still yeah. around. Would you what, be what side would you take? Basically, what what would you say? Like, you have to make. It's either you bring out facts, and you rile up people and 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 uh, and, and and talk about the injustice, or 
you're going to have to take a side and uh, start making fun of. So and that's the disadvantage of a show. Yeah, that's a disadvantage, yeah. This is what happened with uh, Trevor Noah, by the way. Uh, last year, or uh, when, when there was a pandemic and Gaza thing happened, and Sheikh uh, Jarrah, when they tried to take over yeah. a neighborhood, yeah. Israelis tried to take over a neighborhood, and annexing uh, uh, yeah, a whole neighborhood. And, uh, and that was very tricky, because uh, the same, you know, the right wing are pro-Israel, left wing are pro-Palestine, and, and as a show, you always need an audience. Yeah. Um, so, so they try to avoid talking about this. Here's the thing. I believe nowadays there's no voice of reason. I believe evil is, uh, has conquered. Um, what, right, what was right is wrong. What was wrong is right. Values are put under the under the test and, and, and questions, and and it's changing. But here's the thing about this subject that I really want just people to just research and talk about and see what's what's going on. It is not just about geopolitics. It's it's about religion. So. I'll dedicate time to exploring that because yeah. that, that is something I think we can have a back and forth on exactly yeah. what that means given what's happening. Uh, let's go into media and media's role and perhaps media's decline. I think it's safe to say Lebanon is not a pioneer anymore. No. And at Lost. least thought or intelligentsia and the wider media landscape, we lost to other cities that are proving themselves more effective. That decline... Would you frame it as that decline that you saw here? Yeah. It, so it's I lived the last, it. you lived it. Um, and I know why the decline was. Here's the problem. Um, and I think you're, you would extend it across independent and mainstream media. There's nothing independent. Uh, mainstream, even, is not independent. It's affected by agendas and. and if we're talking about Lebanon, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just narrow it down. Uh, Lebanon is here's the thing: you can't as 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 a television or media or whatever platform you have, you always depend on marketing or um, uh, the market that needs to sponsor your shows. We lost that, so basically, what happens? All what was left was for a political uh, uh, party or an, an affiliation that would pay uh, televisions or uh, uh, the news outlet to cover their story or their narrative. So basically, um, televisions became a dekene for the highest payer. And that is very dangerous because they need to sustain as well. They need money to sustain. Um, and so they had to pick, oh, uh, this guy probably with the same range of our line of, you know, political affiliation. So if he wants to pay, let's, you know, let's go ahead because they need to survive. But there's a big problem in the media in Lebanon. And I believe that the most of the stations, if not all, either rebrand or shut it down. I think big part of our division and our bad influence was made 
because the media stations were made like it's like a federal state. You know, every um, every group, every um, region has its own um, television. Before that, uh, Future TV had this all of, you know, we want Lebanon, all that. And then when Rafir Hariri died, and then later on, a few years uh, later, just it went down down the hill. And and this is the thing, uh, Al-Jadid is for left uh, Hezbollah, uh, Shia concentration, MTV is for Metin, Masihi, right wing, uh, LBC, trying to find a balance between both um, but at the end of the day, this is not healthy. And I, I, I strongly believe a big part of our problem is the media. So that's a, so that's why alternative media, when we do podcasts, it's way much better than, and I strongly advise people to stop watching television. Could I play devil's advocate here? I enjoyed watching you on both Al Jadid and MTV. That was a long time. It's, things changed. So, so it's a decline that that's why you're no longer part of that scene? Because not, not that long ago I saw you... Still- no, politics is not part of because most of the time when I get kicked out or have a problem with the owner of the station is because of politics. Um, I'm the kind of guy, I can compromise on certain things but not on major principles. Yeah. And that's what usually happens with me. So this is a question more about is your role still valuable if you're going through... Yes, I'll tell you why. Probably um, because uh, the youth in Lebanon is very low. Uh, the percentage is very low. Everyone leaves and they immigrate or they go uh, for higher learning abroad. So uh, the population here mostly are uh, 45 and above. And 45 and above watches TV. TV is still Generation X and above and before, like baby boomers or whatever. They watch television because that's part of the furniture, that's part of their habit, 8 o'clock news, uh, and they feed their information off of, uh, of TV. Uh, our generation, or the last of Generation X and, and after that, they are connected to the internet. They watch YouTube, they watch uh, content from everywhere, they have more options. They are more open-minded. Um, so, so basically, television is irrelevant for shows now, unless you have a big show. Uh, its relevance comes from the political agenda that they have in the news. Um, Let me play with that. I've You and I have shared the same hosting job on MTV podcast. Yeah. So we've both sat in the same chair with that strange name mtv can podcast. you bring whomever you want i have they've given me a blacklist they give you uh, yeah. exactly they gave, they gave me a, <laughs> yeah, yeah i agree but that's that's my question yeah, that's they're right they, they can do that but actually um, it's, it's everyone on the blacklist i bring them here <laughs> <laughs> it works out for me yeah. but but that that situation which i actually i mean i'll say it i actually pushed as far as i could with that and there was a a, a full no to certain <laughs> names that to me are very sensible people, and it tends to be for competition reasons. Less Not to do just with competition. Sometimes it'd be like, yeah, he spoke badly about us, and and we don't want him. The occasional person like that, but that's, I think, 
from in my experience, it's mostly names from different stations. They simply don't want them on that mm. show. I started that podcast, by no, the way. That, yours was, I was the first podcast in the Lebanese TV station. And I don't know. This is the thing. I don't usually take credits. My friend Rissam knows that. I don't like to. But this time, I really want to. <laughs> I started watching MTV's podcast back then. I had to convince them. but And plus, I give credit to uh, uh, Haddad uh, Rashid. You know, because we both agreed that this needs to be done. Okay, so let's say the evolution of what you started there, which I started watching, you were literally with earphones and a mic. Yeah. So it was, I think, more what a podcast should look should, like. Exactly. And, and, the, and the trend was, people took it as it's an interview with, uh, with microphones. Yeah. It's not that. It's a, it's a digital radio. So let's say you started that yeah. on MTV. Mm. And you, in a way, offered... And a description of MTV the way you see it, yet I would rather watch you on MTV, and that's where I'm kind of going. Let me let me just try. I have to try. I interrupt a lot. <laughs> How many tequilas does it take for you to fall asleep? Yes. <laughs> the record is six, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, I six can break whiskeys. that record. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. What a, that's the third one. So, oh shit! That's just, <laughs> this is gonna end badly. <laughs> I'd rather, and this is where I'm getting at, the restrictions that you faced there, I think are the same restrictions anyone with your mind would face, meaning you're a free spirit and you want to have people that engage you and make your mind stimulated. I feel the same way. And then you have that list, strange names or sometimes even strange reasons that you can't bring on certain voices. I still would rather see you on MTV. So that's where I'm getting at is, is there any value still for participating in something that you see as flawed, but you're able to still have your voice there? Because I think, I, 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 I think it's independent, alternative, whatever media doesn't fulfill the appetite of most people. Most people are no. still tuning in. So I'd rather see you late at night than not see you on MTV. Um, I'll... I'll would I would have loved that. I'm a, I'm a TV guy. I've been working for television. And I mean, I do documentaries on the side. I do a lot of work on the side. But um, television is was my life uh, since I was a teenager, even since I was a kid. So um, it means a lot to me. And that's why I'm heartbroken somehow from, from seeing what happens. But here's the thing. And here's what I noticed. I've done Future TV, Al Jadid, MTV, LBC. And every time I switch channel, it's like I, you have to restart all over again. You'll be amazed that people that watch MTV never watched Al Jadid. You'll be amazed that people that watched uh, 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 that watches LBC or whatever did not accept us or some of us because we were Muslims. Their audience is different. Concentration of, like Kisirwain watching, you know, they just want their narrative. I learned a lot about Lebanese and Lebanese uh, people just by interacting with the audience. Um, some audience did not accept 
not what we were offering. Sometimes we, they did not accept us as who we are. Like I, I heard a lot of things about, eh, and I'm like, I'm not a communist. But because I have long hair, and I don't know why most of communists have long hair, and uh, <laughs> that's why I was like, yeah, hey, that way, sure. Okay. But I read Tolstoy. And I, I used mean, to get, hey, the Beirut. Exactly. I read, I read Marx. I Tolstoy. I read a lot, and but still, it's um, it showed it showed me what is Lebanon and what kind of people we are living in, and how we are not tolerant and not accepting of each other. And me coming from a generation that well, we talked about that before that we are that generation that linked the past to the future. And we're trying our best. And we are traumatized since we were kids, but we are trying our best. But we don't live in the past. Um, the past just affected us enough that we don't go uh, to therapy. That's our generation. But um, it showed what type of Lebanese. It, I, it, I learned a lot. Uh, from it, like whenever I go into, if I go to Jnu, Jnu, South Side or whatever, I'll, or uh, 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 let's say parts of Beirut, it'd be like, eh, blah, blah. I go into Metin, they just know me from MTV, they don't know me from Al Jadid or whatever. If I go to uh, uh, the North, they know me from Al Jadid, they'd be like, eh, where, where have you been? I'd be like, I've been on MTV like since uh, three, three years or whatever, because they don't watch. So, and and this is, That, that's why I believe this is what helped dividing the country more. But you were willing to try almost every station with the exception of maybe three. The and, and, here's the thing, and here's the thing. I, I was wondering when I went to MTV why uh, all of my uh, Shia fans, let's say, um, just turned against me. And during the revolution, I've had a campaign against me. I didn't understand why. I was not... I mean, I was pushing for change, but I did not understand why this attack or character assassination. And then through research, I understood, and just asking people and sitting down with people, it's like what they feed. This guy went to MTV, that MTV is a Zionist channel. MTV works with the Americans. MTV is, is so effectively, and they sponsor, uh, because I had this guy inside the, He's like, you in Minna Ujir with Pierre Rabat, you promoted homosexuality. I'm like, promoted? I'm like, how did I promote? He's like, no, but you spoke about it. I'm like, yeah, we should have spoke about it. Can I give you an example of what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, I've had members of a group called Proud Lebanon, which is kind of like Halim. Halim, yeah. The old, yeah. So these are gay rights advocates. We did that on Al Jadid and no one spoke with us. Yeah, but let, but let me give you an example. I've spoken about that subject here. Yeah. I've spoken it on my own podcast at home. Mm. I took that conversation to MTV and it really took off. And suddenly a member of the Lebanese forces has to defend their position, Georgia's, about uh. Decriminal, decriminalizing homosexuality. I still think, this is my, my view, that having a window of opportunity on those television stations does matter. Yes, yes, it does. And that cannot happen in the independent alternative it, sphere. It, it, it does, it's true. But 
or you could talk to him on independent um, um, media it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't garner the same attention that it still does if you're going to Al Jadid or LBC or MTV okay so what what's what's your uh, that what's I'd your rather question? I I don't know if you're reluctant to go back or if you sort of made your decision to go uh almost divorce yourself I this guy who's you're not seeing but he's sitting there kept on because um we saw he's a comedian and uh, he's a friend and he kept on talking like, telling me like you should go back you should do this okay. and, I, and so I kept on opinion. telling him it's dead it's it's out if you want to do something it should be something new uh, uh there's no acceptance and the past three to four years, what I've experienced with people is definitely not a good idea to build a show and talk about, because we're so polarized, so divisive, even, even, um, even the simplest things, like an empathy with a kid who's dying. No. Let me go back to that thing, and, and I'm really sorry about this, but, but this is something that's been really bothering me. There's a lot of friends that I've had conversations with. And I'm actually, I'm going to do this even if you can find me. My friend will pay. Um, um, and this is rebellious. <laughs> okay. Do you mind if I... Uh, okay, so no one minds. Um, here's the thing. I've had severe conversations with people that cannot sympathizes with the Palestinians because they think that uh, Palestinians, they did a Damur massacre, they did uh, you know, a lot of uh, you know, uh, atrocity in, in Lebanon and we should, no, no, historically, big part of why we went into the war because of that, because of the PLO. Kids were dying, were not in PLO. Kids who are dying in Gaza now or, or are not in the PLO. I'm not asking you to be politically involved with Hamas. Then again, we say, fuck Hamas. But this is the, the humane side of you. If you can't sympathize and you say that, ah, this is what they did to me in Damur and whatever. And usually this is what I have with my Christian friends. And I'd be like, okay, so when is it enough? Was Sabra and Shatila enough for you? Was it Sabt al-Aswad? When is it enough for you to say, as a human being, not as a Lebanese, that, you know what, I kind of sympathize, haram. Anyone that has a problem with anyone, a bully, and then a guy that decided to stand up for himself and, and, and let's say slap the bully, and then the bully almost killed him you would go and stop the fight. This is in real life, right? This is what happens. If now my friend and my friend picked up a fight, now what would you do? You try to stop it. That's the humane, that's the noble, that's the ethical thing to do. I don't agree with Hezbollah, we both know that. We strongly uh, 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 agree that this is very harmful and we need to keep the dialogue open, we need to keep uh, you know, shouting and talking, discussing, or else we go to war, a civil war. Do you want that? So this, let's, we'll take what you're saying and go into narrative, because you, 
you actually mentioned this before. You wanted to talk about history and narrative and how it's being weaponized. This situation that you're talking about, do you find your voice more effective now on that kind of media platform? It doesn't matter. Listen, Rony, for me and you, we are worse than the Palestinians. Palestinians, they live a reality, a harsh reality. We live an illusion of we need to build a country that is like Europe, but we are neighbors with Syria and Israel, and we have an influence of Iran. One who's, who's bloodthirsty, the other is a bully, and the other is a liar. And we live that effect. And we still want that illusion of, you know what? No, we just want to be uh, like isolation theory, you know? We're not, we need to find, we need to be wise. We live in this area. Lebanon is a big question mark. Is it a state anymore? What are we? What are we? What joins me and you? That's the big question. What unifies us anymore? Tell me one thing that unifies us. Even Fairuz, that unifies all of Lebanese. Fairuz is overrated, let's say. Or like Charles, uh, uh, or like the president. Um, uh, the father of the institutions, uh, Fouad Shah. Okay, and some people came up and say, because they got, they, they, this guy was impeccable. His, his, his history is great. His, his character is great. What he did for Lebanon is just immensely uh, grandiose. And, and, and the effect of it was, we still criticize. We are a nation of hate. And this is heartbreaking. I cannot have a conversation with you. I cannot have a conversation with Hezbollah people that think that they don't belong to Lebanon. They belong to the whole region. And there's uh, Imam Mahdi coming, and we need all to be thing. And plus, we cannot have a conversation with a right-wing Israeli that says, yeah, we need to have the prophecy, we need to take all of Israel, and all of you guys, in our books, Goyam, like we're, you're not barely human. So what level are we talking now? Are we talking geopolitics? What, what level are we talking? Let me try to get this conversation more structured, if that's okay. I'll try to... I'll try to wrap This means up. the tequila is kicking in. <laughs> no, no, I'll try to find themes here because there's a few things you wanted to talk about. I want to make sure they're discussed. Uh, this type of lack of reason, which you, you actually said it earlier tonight, that you don't find any voice of reason today. At no. least in those... Voice of reason are rejected now. Right. So, again, I'm going to ask it in, in your own capacity because you still talk for a living. Your effort still in 2023 to use an alternative outlet with its constraints too. I don't think it's a full- All media outlets has constraints yeah. to a certain extent. So with those- It depends on you how much are you willing to compromise. And I asked you that privately. Right. right. So with, with those certain constraints yeah. in mind. Do you think of your voice as trying to provide a voice of reason? Is that what you're doing? Even when- if I did do the, that voice of reason, it does not matter. For me and you, we're not in control. Okay, so then let's get into narrative and history and why there's no control over this story. Yeah. And I think that's a nice segue into really lack of agency in politics, period. It's not just this discussion. Can you shape that in a way that makes sense to you? In other words, 
This is not just media. Now nothing makes sense to me. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> no, but that, that kind of a narrative war that I think is happening, you hint at it and that every station has its own worldview from here. I don't know if it's as extreme as the way you described it, but I think there is something there. And that I think... In how, how was it extreme? I wouldn't. I think somebody can still watch MTV and be opposed to what MTV says, and they still watch it, and they. I think they enjoy it. That would be great. No, I think uh, things like uh, people watch Al Manar, even though they can't stand what they're saying. I watch Al Manar for work. I think a lot of people watch. I don't Al- think you watch uh, Al Manar Sagir, masalan, and be, and be no, like. But I think hey, these uh, outlets, I think, do still. What do you watch on Al Manar? I know personally, I don't watch TV. Other than the news, what would you watch on Al Manar? Well, the news in itself is something people are taking from that station. Mm-hmm. So information that is, uh, let's say, catered to an audience, but the, op- the opposing audience is listening in anyway. So mm-hmm. let's say there's still something there. In terms of a narrative war that's underway, and you're, I think you are a media strategist, but you also have insight knowledge on the evolution of media and the devolution of media. Do you think that's a, just a simple byproduct of political reality, that these stations behave the way they do because politics and agency is gone? So in other words, it doesn't really matter anymore what MTV says or what Al Manar says. Things are happening in a way you described it as well. There are, there are things happening beyond television okay, and I'll media. I'll tell you how things happen. Any narrative that needs to be pushed politically is pushed by marketing an idea or an ideology, ideology and it's pushed by money. Whomever has money and weapons are in control. Okay, so... And, and that's why I strongly believe that the way the Lebanese media is behaving is very, very damaging to our society. I'll give you an example about the 17th of October, okay? Because I know certain facts. And can you just remind me, you were at which station, October 17? Were you? Yeah. Was I, was, I was with uh, MTV Jadid? in okay. Minna Ujir. MTV, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. But but now just MTV, everyone the way they covered the uh, 17th of October, yeah, and then later on what happened, and how they used six uh, 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 locations with multiple cams and the way it was covered, um, and then you see what happened later on, and then when you dig in a bit, you see why it was covered that way, and what happened. So, and a lot of TV stations, they do that. Uh, let's say, Roni Shatah, I have an interest with you. I'm the owner. If you don't do my interest, or I can do a report about you, or a character assassination, or, you know, uh, bring up a subject that's been a taboo, and then I get paid for it, which is basically a blackmail. And, and it's been going on. That's why I advocate for alternative media. But sometimes we say, no, we need to go into traditional media because the voice is heard. And, but no one asks about um, how things work in traditional media. You know, now because I'm 
basically I've lost everything and I don't care anymore. I can, I don't have an agenda. I don't have an interest in working anymore. That's why I can, I can say whatever I want to say. Uh, but things doesn't work that way and people are fooled and they should be aware of that. And no one is aware of that. You want to listen and hear whatever you want to hear. So um, we'll circle back at the end to satire and that I think it's still a valuable weapon and what's happening. Not, on, not anymore. We'll, we'll get into that. And of course, religion, which you emphasized already. Uh, you have a smaller audience as a result of being in alternative media, but you're able to flex your muscle better, I think, today than you were maybe a year ago or two years ago. And you mentioned the audience and engagement. Do you, do you find that the audience that you're bringing in now resembles what you want too? No. So the audience is, does not reflect the message. No, here's the thing. Um, this is what I discovered now recently that um, uh, no, um, uh, on certain political, like local things, we agree on some things. Hmm. Uh, when it comes to the region, no, hmm. we have a different uh, different outtake, different view. I don't like people that uses emotions uh, with their argument. Um, it's not a healthy way. So, and, and that's my problem with the audience. And um, the audience is very emotional and full of hate. What I discovered in Lebanon is the amount of hate that people bear, the anger that people bear, it needs to be addressed. You cannot build a nation, any nation, not just this piece of land, any nation, you cannot build a nation with that much hate in their hearts and minds, with lack of trust, with judgment and prejudgment, you cannot build it. So what is the other alternative? Is violence. Do we want violence? That's the question. Who's gonna win? Let's go back to history. Who won? No one. Exactly, thank you. No one won. What did we end up with? A full baggage of emotions. Yes, thank you. Your mom has great friends. That's, it's not her. I love them. See, they connected. They're, they're, I'm sorry, I'm not judging. 50 and above. You, you, look, you look beautiful, everyone. But, but here's the thing. They agree, but our... But when I talk to a generation like we Sam's generation, it's a whole different case. And I told you that before when we were talking privately that when we are young without any kids and without building a family, we intend to be left and we intend to be you know, idealistic. And, and then when you go into the real world, you'd be like, oh, I want to be... And then you have a family. You'd be like, oh, I want to have some conservative things, you know? And that's the beauty of being a, a, a centrist. Is like, uh, oh, you can pick the best from the right and the best from the left. That's wisdom. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I know I'm ADHD. So no, I, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going back, to, <laughs> back the, the circling the point. But sure. No, no. Well, I'll leave the role, what I still think the value of comedy to the end. 
comedy in its widest. Uh, I think comedy is. Re- look what happened to Noor Hajjar. But, uh, let's let's leave that to that. I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, it's okay. I enjoy interrupting. <laughs> it's like a, a karma coming to get me. It does feel like it, right? Odd mahalla kuskot. I like people when they're upfront and honest with I'm me. I'm kidding. No, no. I don't like uh, I don't like compliments that much, and I don't like that go serpentine style. I like any, I like anyone that looks like me. If they I were, like when someone wants to tell me fuck were, you, tell me fuck you in my face. No, no. I like anyone that looks like me if they were pumped with something because you're just like a a bigger version of me. Bigger pants, bigger shirt. Like, and I wore that t-shirt and I, I was More almost facial hair. an elegant slacker because yeah. of uh, what you told me last time. No, I liked it last time. We both looked just right. Mm. I think, and that... Except for the sandals. Man, you got to quit this American thing. Shob, shob. Sandals are just... Give Bahar give team a sandals. Isn't it? What kind of shoes are you wearing? Dude. What is that? Dude, this is a good... What is that? Good walking that's shoes. So Adidas. Abibas. That's not uh, Adidas. That's yeah. Adidas. I, should, I should take it off because of... Don't the, take them off. <laughs> We don't have the window open. <laughs> so, back to... <laughs> so, finally, we lightened it up a bit. Let's go... Oh shit, let's go to religion. <laughs> religion, okay. Wait, I, I want... Can I, want... I have one more? Okay, thank you. Hey, Noor, Kifik. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Noor. Can yeah. you take care of me? Thank you. Uh, anyone? <laughs> uh, I think he needs two more, yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to push back on the assertion you made that this has become almost like a religious war. But pushing, but let me finish before. I didn't say anything. You're, okay. So, I don't know if that's true right now. And let me give you my experience with this. At 2023, and I'll, I'll, I'll zoom in here and then I'll zoom out. Most Lebanese Christian friends of mine have absolute sympathy to Gaza right now. Who Maybe. are your friends? I'd like to meet them. I think we know most. Because I've lost many friends. <laughs> okay, let me... let me Over f- the course of this war. Uh, let me say it then differently. Shil Hamas. Forget Hamas for a moment. I can't forget Hamas. Yeah, so let's just look at the situation. But do you know how Hamas started? Wait, let me, let me, let me finish my point, okay. then, then we'll do it. Okay. okay. I'm not Pierce Morgan, by the way. No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Although we should get on Pierce Morgan and talk. I can email him. You should recommend us to Pierce Morgan. <laughs> we'll switch whenever there's yeah. a... Yeah. Can you really email him? Yeah. The, give me his email at the end of the night, yeah? Why would, why would I want to give you his email so you would go up on Pierce instead of... My name is Salam Zatari. I am... The, <laughs> no, so... The, the majority of people I know across religions in this country yes. have not expressed any sympathy for what the Israelis are doing. I think I haven't heard one person. Maybe I don't have the same circle. In my circle, I don't know anyone that has been cheering on the Israeli side. But wait, wait, wait. this is a limited experience here. Uh, in terms of the suspects that I would think would be their knee-jerk reaction would be to punch at the Palestinians. In my circles, they haven't. And I'll zoom out a bit. It's overwhelming sometimes to see 
how many Jews across the world are supporting the Palestinians. This is, for me, it's a... It's a Do you have American Jews are, as friends? Sorry? Do you have American Jews as friends? I, yeah, I have. Yeah, um, I yeah. do as well. Yeah. And they're all supporting and they're all uh, liberal and they all, and, and, and we, don't, we don't judge them, we respect them, and they all consider themselves American Jews. Yeah, that was my point. So you know? this is what I meant by religion. Yeah. Is that I don't know if religion in its biggest uh, definition. The problem is not with Jews. So let me finish my sentiment first, okay. and then I'll, I'll give you all the time. So that's my understanding when, when there's, let's say, Stars of David spray painted in Paris, right? You see Muslims removing that. They're, they're cleaning up what feels like Nazi propaganda. That to me is a good sign. It's not a bad sign. These crazy scenes, maybe they're mostly in the U.S., you're right, were thousands it's not a few hundred, it's thousands of American Jews are taking over a train station, Grand Central Station. Yeah. This yeah. is, for me, it's remarkable. And then you see these marches in Europe, predominantly, where people from all walks of life and all views of God are joining hands. And I think a lot of it, not all of it, a lot of it is sympathy to Gaza. I think also, on the other side, most American Muslims are horrified by what Hamas did on October 7 and rightfully defending the Palestinians October 8 until now and have been defending them October 6 and before. So I think the same kind of person from a unique set of principles and one religion, they can evolve. And I don't think it's a religious war, despite what the crazies are saying. I, I, I disagree. Okay. Tell me I why. I think it's purely a religious war. And I think Netanyahu made it clear. Um, we might think, oh, no, it's not religion. That's because you're not involved in religion. And, and, and because you're secular and you think, oh, it's a geopolitical thing and this is what we need to do. Let's go back to the charge, 48, 67, uh, 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 what the Israelis did. Uh, do you know that Israelis always rejected a peace treaty from the Palestinians, but never actually proposed a peace treaty, for example? Do you know that no matter what we believe that Palestinians, they had a shitty hand from God, if, let's say, you want to take but, and the people say, it's like, hey, yeah, the, look what they did to their land. Look what I can. They, have, uh, they have zero rights, lack of opportunities, everything that goes wrong to into a nation. But here's the thing. Usually, Mansell Maldena was a terrorist and his organization. Then he became a hero, a freedom fighter, and then they made him president. A lot of um, resistance movements started as terrorists and then became later on in history when they went small in numbers. They went into being um, freedom fighters and in history we turned back into like, no, they were great. You know, they fought, uh, this is their ideology. As long as the numbers are small. Now, talking about a religious war, yes, it is a religious war. Jews 
uh, not all Jews, because uh, some Jews think that Israel or Zionist Israel uh, should not exist. Minorities. minorities, exactly. And then they have uh, liberal Jews and the left that we can actually negotiate with a peace treaty because they're very reasonable. And then you have the Likud party and the far right that actually want to provoke and they uh, strongly believe that all, uh, and this is, it's, it's been documented, a lot of rabbis said it, all of mankind should be slaves to them. And then you take the other side, um, fighters that be like, uh, we don't belong, because I had this conversation with a fighter from uh, Hezbollah. And I'm like, imagine if you had loyalty to your country. Imagine if you were like the Wagner of Lebanon. Imagine if we'd had this strong point, this, these uh, 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 you know, uh, great uh, military uh, uh, experience uh, employed for the interest of Lebanon, not Iran. The answer was, we do not belong to this geographic thing. We belong to this region and uh, we are waiting for the Mahdi to come, to come out. Jews are waiting for the Messiah to come out. Their Messiah, not Jesus, because they're not Jesus. So you'd be like, okay, so are we talking now, if you're a bit secular or just you know, pragmatic, you'd be like, okay, so what are we talking about? If I came and told you that, uh, yeah, listen, uh, there's two eggs that are gonna uh, 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 come out, two dragons out of these eggs, and one of them is gonna be holding a dragon and fighting all, you'd be like, you're fucking insane, right? So this conversation, is a different level. It's, it's a religious level. And the ironic thing is that God told both of them in their books, first book, ah, you are the chosen ones, I give you a thing, but if you broke the covenant, I'm gonna torture you. Then, then the last book, be like, they broke the covenant, so you should torture them. And the both sides believe in that. It's never going to end. So I, I will open more to this during the Q&A because the audience can ask anything they want. Are, are we closing in? Are no, we... no, just one more, one more section. Then you can smoke your heart out. So I'm not smoking. I'm just, uh, it's just a bad habit. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll only suggest... Yeah, am I making sense or is it just... Uh... I only suggest. I know you don't want to make. I, I, you probably you don't want to have an opinion or take. No, on the contrary. Am I making sense? I see where you're going in the argument. I can do, you, do you agree that this is a religious war? Personally, yeah. I, I disagree with that. Even if you don't believe in God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget God. I, yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but the way the people are stating. Yeah. So I'll, this is how and I what see. They believe in. This is how I see it as somebody who has the same insight that you have. It's not like I have better or worse uh, judgment. This is my conclusion. Um, I think when a regime has access to power and, is, and that power is left unchecked, it can do things that over time 
are absolutely horrifying. I think the Israelis are behaving the way any regime behaves when they're left to their own conclusions on how to defend themselves, which brings out the worst in their society. But I'll flip it. I'll try to flip it. I, I remember how the Syrians operated here, and they killed Palestinians with unchecked power too. And I think Hezbollah, to a smaller degree, depending on how you see it right now, their unchecked power has also demented Lebanon. So unchecked power... What do you mean demented? Demented, meaning we're now waiting for Friday for a militia leader... Do you think, do you think he took war. the decision or Iran took the decision? That's my point. That's my point. Do you point. think it's in our interest or it's in Iran's interest? So let me finish my point. It's, it's that I don't think Iran or Hassan Nasrallah make their decisions it's the way I think. They don't think of Islam when doing their calculations on whether or not to get involved this round. What Islam? Let's get into this. And I think I'm going to get a lot of bad comments about it. What Islam do they consider? Worshipping human beings, Allah. not only God and one God. For me, Benjamin Netanyahu does not represent Judaism. Exactly. Okay. And Hezbollah does not represent Islam. That's, I think, how I see it. And yeah. I see that both, they exist for each other. Israel needs Hezbollah, needs Hamas, and there's a lot of books and reports about how they kept them funded and they left them. And they kept Hezbollah the same thing. They need each other to thrive. Okay? I think the way, this way, of having proxy wars and proxy militias should end, and it will be ended. Now, justice, uh, uh, the godly thing will prevail, I think there's defiance of God from both sides, from the Jewish Zionists and uh, Hezbollah, uh, Iranian Shia sector. And personally, personally, and I see a security situation where Hezbollah makes calculations so that it does not diminish its value here to Iran. Of course. That of to course. me is less Islam. It's more to do with a regime. Of course, but Iran. how are they selling it? Sorry? How are they selling it to, to the audience? So, the yeah, world? the language, signal and sound to me are different things. The sound is, I think, what you're describing. I'm looking at a signal, which I think it, it's in the same direction, but it doesn't reach the same conclusion. But do you agree that Iran and Israel serve each other? Not the way you're saying it. I think regime... How, how did I say it? Uh, through religion. I don't think they serve each okay, other. Okay, uh, school religion. Uh Are they serving each other or not? I think if there's two victors to this round, it's the Iranian regime and Israel. Q&A, Q&A at the end. Leave it to Q&A. Let, let's skip to comment. Let's skip this. We'll, we'll discuss it more okay. in Q&A. What makes, what makes a militant fighter goes, puts, uh, puts a brand of whatever yeah, religious uh, name he wants yeah. and go fight? It might be not religious, but it's sold as religion. This is what's been going on. So we'll go, let me okay. push that to the Q&A. One more thing, I want to end it on a lighter note if that's possible. Um, there is, in my mind, valuable individuals in this country that despite the nightmare are still providing leisure. I think it's a hard thing to do. One of them is this gentleman sitting here, Hussam Kamath. 
We send comments. We gave him too much credit. Uh, no, no. I, I watch him on Instagram. I think I've, we should uh, uh, like initial do actor. We send an awkward, the whole awkward entourage. I love you. And I've had some on the podcast as well. They're still performing, and I think it's very hard. Uh, and how, 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 how the critique that they got? So let's let me give you my take on this, and we can end it with a, uh, the value of comedy and satire. They may not be talking about politics. I had John Ashar a few months ago on the podcast. We didn't really talk about politics, even though he's a natural politician and he comes from that background. But he didn't. He doesn't do it for comedy. I've watched Shadin. I think she's a street fighter through words, and I actually like having her around. And okay. I think she adds value, even uh, when it's in what sense. Because I think, and this is my take, I don't know if uh, Wissam would share this. I think every... I've, I've had the conversation with Wissam. I personally think, personally, I'm an absolutist in this. I think nothing is off limits to comedy. If it's done right. If it's done right. Yeah. And it, there has to be an element of taste and sensibility when people are suffering. Thank you. Yeah. Try to tell them that. I don't know if Would they expect... I'm not talking about Wissam. Oh. Here's the thing with the stand-up comedians uh, nowadays. Our generation are much more... Um, they read way much more than the next generation. And they were a transitional uh, generation between two worlds and ideologies. Um, sometimes I don't agree what the comedians in Lebanon are doing. Uh, but I support them. I support, I support that right to go and express. And I condemn everything that you might prosecute a comedian for saying his opinion or making fun of whatever. Religion, politics, whatever. I support and I'll, even if I, I disagree with you, I will protect that right. Yeah. And that is something we inherited from the Western world. We did not inherit from the Middle East. These are values. At a certain point, there was the sweet spot that these are values, values that we want to adopt and implement. But at some point, uh, I see this generation uh, are a bit naive when it comes to politics. I would have to disagree. I think this generation is shockingly astute and they surprise me all the time. And in what sense? In every sense. I'll, I'll give you this. We're the same age. We're in our, yeah, yeah, we're in our early 20s. Want, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So we're in our mid 40s. Exactly. Although you're. No, right. Let me pinpoint it to be, to be more clear. They fell into the cancel culture uh, dynamics. And that. So that's something I don't like because one of my favorite comedians, multiple favorite comedians, fell into that. And they had the same thing. That a comedian, when, 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 when he's always just wants to uh, criticize for no reason or have a sarcastic comment uh, for no reason, just because it's funny, it's fine when you do it on stage, but when you publicize it on social media and has no depth into it, it shows that you're naive about politics or 
the topics that you're talking about. I think every, now, all of them yeah. are mature, yeah. but some of them are. Every, to every be fair to everyone, sure. all of them, the awkward community, are my friends and I love them dearly. And I have these discussions with them all the time. But I see a generational uh, difference into uh, the intakes. Like, the idealism, the idealism is not healthy. Uh, you, 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 you try to aspire for that idealistic thing, but the real life is not, is not that. So I'll say it so, in, a, in a better way. Uh, I think, like you're describing, every generation has its, its pendulum, if you will. And I think maybe it moved slightly too far in that way, which is extreme sensitivity through language. But I know at least three off the top of my mind that refuse to back down. And I think that's the right message against it. And I also think that it shows the absurdity of the moment that Noor Hajjar can talk about totters or whatever. And he, he gets... He did, he did not, by the way. No, no, uh, he can get in the trouble. The only thing he did wrong by apologizing to the Sunni. Uh, right. So that's my point yeah. is that... Maybe but I still understand why he did that. I understand, Yeah. you know, why, you know, he did that. Right. But it, even if he apologizes, the absurdity from the other side is there. So we, we fully exposed at how pathetic the other side is. What and would you have done? Well, <laughs> regarding would you him? have doubled down or apologized? I don't. I, I can't say whether he did what he did was right or wrong. Personally, I think you never apologize. And you no, you should apologize when you do something wrong. Uh, what he did was he not never wrong. Apologize for doing something that's not wrong. What he did was not wrong, and it was not, it was not a, a, a disrespectful to the Islamic religion. Yeah, I think that these uh, shuha should ask themselves: someone like Nur Hajar, what would, why would he stray from religion? Why would he do that? And it, they would go to his house or talk to him or to his family. But my, my Without point, prosecute him. My, my point is that, and I've watched Shadin several times now on stage at Alcourt, yeah. and you see the front row, maybe one or two people get up and they leave. So that happens anyway. But let me just finish. The, the majority, I think, of this younger generation are actually less on the cancel culture side. I think there is a minority that's visible. They're loud. But I do sense, going back to comedy and satire, having a stand-up comedy show in, in crisis, if they're going to talk politics, I think that's fine. If they do it right, it actually is a weapon, and it can deliver. And I think, I think, Basim Yusuf, and we hinted at this, he, what he did subtly was do that against Pierce Morgan. Yeah. It worked. And now they have a second round. No, well, yeah, exactly, but not and, as a show. You're right, not as a show, as an interview, fine. On an alternative platform that Pierce Morgan is on, it's not on a television station. It's number show, uh, number one show in Britain, most watched show on, on YouTube. Right. Uh, I watch it every night. Yeah. So Because I like what Pierce, here's the thing. I know that Pierce works for Rupert uh, Murdoch. I know they defend the right thing. Uh, right-wing values or whatever. They are conservatives in, in some topics. But I respect that he gives a chance 
for the other side to come and argue or present his case. Why should I not respect that? Even Ben Shapiro got on my nerves uh, the way he treats, uh, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Uh, and I follow him, you know. Um, like in the transgender thing, I found that I agree with some of the things, the points that he was saying. And the Israeli thing, I, I don't agree with him, but I, I know that he's Jewish. I know what he has to do. I understand that. And we can have a debate about this. And I like that he can have a debate with the left, with people that represents the left. What I was trying to, uh, what I was trying to get at was that I think these stronger voices today using satire the right way have a weapon that sh they should never put aside. And I think personally, Lebanon is missing its chief satirist. So I hope you find a way to bring that voice back. That's how I got to know you. And I think you deserve wow. it still. So on that note, let's take a break. See? A 10-minute break. All right, all right. Okay, order up your drinks. But we'll have a fun Q&A with the one and only. All right, but before, before, before the break, I want to thank you because uh, you made my night with this comment. Um, and I thank you because usually people don't have kind words. They only have harsh or unsensible critique. So um, thank you. It's because we're the same religion yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a 10 minute break. <laughs> Relationships and uh, marriage. This is Rissam Kamal. Yes, uh, yes. Gets it into the. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Awashi. Thank you so much for this beautiful interview. Uh, I'm glad I drove uh, five minutes to that. Uh, <laughs> That's being sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, seriously, based on the thing that you said uh, lastly to Salam, which like you gave him this great compliment, which is he's a chief satirist. And based that, uh, on the thing that he said that I was telling him all the time that to go back to, to satire, I'm going to ask Salam, what is the best way for you to, you to reuse satire in these dark times? Um, what I really truly miss is um, the team. I'm going to tell you something probably most people don't know. Basim, let's say... I don't know if you know that, but Basim, uh, when he went to Beit Adin, he expressed that he was inspired by CNN and, and, and me, and he gave me that credit, and I, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, but the thing, what I miss the most, is working with a team. Uh, a team of writers, uh, comedians, 
people that are willing to do anything uh, to prove a point or to make an impact. Uh, Wissam knows that because he was part of that team. And that was the best uh, years or seasons of Shannon because um, when I started, no one understood what we were doing. So I had to do it all myself. Like I had to write and explain the jokes and why we're doing that because the actors were not politically driven. Uh, when I met uh, people like Wissam and others and we joined the team like Tarek Ayada and uh, and Khanda uh, Hajiji was a great uh, uh, post. Uh, yeah, but she was great because uh, she understood what we needed and how to present our ideas. So whenever the team was there and we were connected, we had uh, better uh, work. Whenever I failed, in, like in MTV, why I failed? Because I had no team. Uh, because there's no budget, and I had to bring my wife. And who brings his wife to work? That's how desperate. <laughs> That's how desperate it was. Um, so and this, is, this is what most TV stations do not understand about uh, these types of uh, uh, shows, that you, you should have a team of writers to just bounce off ideas, uh, write, experiment, test the jokes, just like a stand-up comedian would do. But the difference is we are on a camera reading off a teleprompter and just yeah. presenting our ideas with no audience. Um, so, so I wish if I had that team. And uh, during 17th of October, when, uh, when he was just you know, nagging me, like, you should do this, you should do this. Um, these things need money. Before, when we did the show, a lot of people just offered to um, to work this type of show for free. Um, now, everyone wants and needs money. Yeah. And because it's political, um, you can't be ultimately free without censorship. And at the same time, you need that team, you need that group, you need that energy. Me, by myself, I cannot do it. Uh, I tried. I, uh, that failure led me to um, uh, like a deeper experience and, and more of knowledge that how we should do this. But not one TV station agreed to do it the way I want, uh, like the way I see it. And that's the difference between me and Bassem. Bassem showed them and uh, implemented uh, conditions. Uh, but in Egypt, if you put a stage and you put some guy with jokes, hundreds of people would show up in Cairo. Because that's the nature of Cairo. And if you do it after six o'clock, it's even better because the city never sleeps. In Beirut, it's different. It's either you get college kids that do not understand politics or you get Syrians and Iraqis uh, paid audience. Uh, and some, somehow they understand, some, sometimes they don't. What do you mean by failure? You said you, you failed at what exactly? That you were not able to get the funding? Was I was not able to get the, uh, the, the budget needed to mm -hmm. produce, to meet up the potential. So are there any, were there any stations that were still trying to offer you something, but it didn't have the... Um, 
Yes, they did. Uh, until last year, there always was. There's always offers about this, but they never understood uh, the importance of spending money on it. So there was no money to they back. All, they always treated it as it's just like a sketch comedy show. Yeah. Uh, But then I showed them the influence. And I showed them how we made a difference. Uh, are you just willing to pay a little bit more? They'd be like, uh, yeah, sure, if uh, someone pays more, like uh, whomever political party, which defies our ethics. And, you know, we want no um, censorship. Uh, but we would understand the guidelines of any station. Just like it happens, you know, all over the world. Um, and we would work around that. But you can't tell someone that came from, from like, you can say whatever that you want. And you can even, because remember when I was in Al-Jadid, I even criticized Al-Jadid and the news. I criticized Maryam Al-Bassam. And this is what I loved. When I criticized, they had a petition against our show in the news department. And whenever I criticized the op like the openers of um, the news, Maryam Al-Bassam, which is the chief editor, would call me up and express, and I liked that. Um, she would express, uh, she would be like, yeah, blah, 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 you did this, you did that. And I'm like, yeah, I did this because of that, because of that. And they'd be like, okay, so are you good? And we're like, yeah, are you good? Everything's all right, oh, bye, bye, bye. You know? Um, that thing, was the ultimate uh, that everyone had dreamt of. And that was because the general manager, the head of production, everyone was in line with, with our vision and supported that. If uh, there's no support for that, you know, you would fail. So telling, telling me that, yeah, I should do satire and be free of everything, nowadays, after 2019, It's uh, rare, uh, difficult, sometimes it's almost impossible. And I tried to do that even during the elections in MTV and I got, and I got my answer. Uh, but at least I can say that I did it, you know, on MTV, uh, LBC, Algerian and Future. Um, did it make any difference? Sometimes I'd like to believe that when I went down Uh, to the streets and on, on the 17th of October, people would come up to me and be like, hey, isn't this your dream? And I'm like, no, I'm skeptical about it. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think satire works when it's a half-healthy society. Um, we were here, we were aspiring to get there, now we're here. Um, so, so, yeah, it's very much more difficult. And the funding on its own is something that no one is getting. No, because a guy, like whatever, who would fund you, would probably would come and be like, uh, I want you to be uh, just over this, these uh, people, yeah. this political party. Yeah. And if you don't agree with that, it will become a question of integrity and ethics and everything. And it would be like, oh, am I selling my soul for money? Um, but the reason, part of the reason of my depression the last three years when I went through, it was because of that. Because I had to take jobs uh, for 
let's say, platforms that I don't agree with uh, to a certain extent. I agree with a couple of points, but I don't agree with, but I had to do that because I had a family and I have kids and that brought me problems internally and it gave me this uh, internal struggle. Um, and I know a lot of people in the media are having the same problem, uh, but they're not talking about it. So I'll ask another question before the audience. Let's say what you're saying is entirely true about the local scene, that there's no way forward for what you want, which is a funded, free satire show on your terms to the most degree possible, and a dream that you probably can reassemble easily. It wouldn't take that much time. If the local stations are failing, and you've had this healthy experience on independent media, is there any other way to replicate it on any other platform? Yes, I wish. No, and that, that, sorry, that could include a satellite station that doesn't necessarily get involved in what you want to talk about. Satellite dish. Hi. Okay, a beautiful person just walked in and said hi to my friend. Yeah. And now I'm very glad that he's my friend. Say hi. <laughs> okay. Um, money. Money controls all. Is there any other opportunity elsewhere for you to stay here and do it from here? Yes, if I know a tycoon that believes whatever I believe in and would sponsor that, that would be great. See, that's the thing. The world, and not just Lebanon, uh, works uh, or people succeed when they have a banker or banks backing them. In media comes results of that. Um, this is what been going on in, in, in Lebanon. Uh, the relationship between banks and media is immense. And, um, and it should be looked at because there's, I know a couple of people now, editors and respectable, uh, respectable platforms wrote books about uh, the relationship. So um, I don't mind, uh, it's like the funding, it's like uh, a couple of platforms here, they got funded from like uh, George Soros organizations and they have their agenda and they have to talk about it, but they have their fun, you know, with conditions. Um, I wish if there was this free independent media Tell me one that you think it's a free, independent media. I think uh, you'll never find that, but I'm, I meant more like something that you could replicate from your earlier years. It doesn't have to be a Lebanese station. Yeah. But I... See, but let, I, let, yeah. let me actually invite... Are there any other questions in general? No. So, you know, it's There's a rare, rare occasion, yeah, when... <laughs> the, the, Shows how popular I am. No, no, it's not that. I'm going to force a question from Tanner since he's your disciple. No, nah, no, I like I like Tanner. Don't, Me too. Don't. He shows up every episode. That's why I like him. <laughs> Tanner, you can ask him whatever you want. Um, okay, uh, so just I guess to talk about bias in media, uh, you've talked a lot about television media. 
Um, but overall, what would you say in terms of print media? Um, what are the big distinctions, if there are any, uh, between print media and television media in your view? Um, and which outlets are more independent if there is such a thing? Um, are you talking Lebanon or worldwide? Lebanon. Lebanon. Um, there's no independent media. But um, depending on the topic and how it's being covered, you can judge it's a, it's an unbiased coverage. Um, but in Lebanon, unfortunately, there's a newspaper for the Christians, newspaper for the Shias, newspaper for the Sunnis that does not exist anymore. Uh, there's a TV station for uh, uh, the left, the communist Shia and the Shias, television for right-wing, ultra-right, a television for uh, Hezbollah, a television for... So you have to watch all of the three, four, or five outlets so you can get a good, solid, objective uh, point of view about the topic they're discussing. So Lebanon is just a bad example or a case to be studied uh, in, in, in media because Ours, our, uh, geographically speaking, we're such a small country and we have, before, during the war, we had like 16, 17 media outlets. Now we have five, six or seven. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. some of them closed, some of them. Because of a law uh, that they made, uh, which represented every uh, uh, sect or... Um, group and I think this that was a big mistake that was a big mistake since Rafi Hariri made that law uh, he was thinking at that time that yeah everyone would get his uh, his point of view uh, to the world but I think that was a big mistake I think um, the media helped in that division and I'm talking out of experience and uh, if you want to build a united Lebanon, one of the key elements that should happen is to have uh, a, a, a strong independent media uh, that represents uh, most Lebanese, not just regions. Um, and, and just saying that is ridiculous by itself because the region that they represent is just a very small neighborhood. Um, so, so on, on a scale of a marketing scale or whatever, you can't even make money out of it. Um, so no, no, you should just, like Hezbollah uh, audience watches Al-Manar all the time. They don't watch MTV. They don't watch barely sometimes Al-Jadid. Um, they don't watch LBC. They don't watch the other opinion. Is that, is that true? Do we have a way to actually figure that yeah. out? Uh, we, have, we, had, we had studies before. That's we had uh, um, with numbers from Ipsos, hmm. even when it was rigged. Um, we, you, you, you know, because I usually, this is what I, I did not believe in Ipsos, so I used to do surveys and focus groups. And I discovered that uh, people have the habit of putting on one TV station because they believe that it represents all of their beliefs and they should not 
stray in all of that. So basically, you can't have an objective uh, uh, TV station. It has to be subjective all the time. You can be subjective some of the time, but you can't be uh, objective. Uh, this is what I liked about Jadid. It was objective. Like they had that thing that you can do whatever, you know, you know, and they dealt with it. The rest of the stations are just tarnished with uh, their audience. Like when I, I remember first season of Late at Night, I had on my... Uh, Remind me, which station was that? Was that MTV. MTV. I had on my LED screen, uh, uh, like an artistic thing. Oh, I So, um, I had a picture of Mona Lisa, which is an artistic uh, pop uh, thing, uh, wearing the um, the Palestinian kufi, uh, 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 and I've gotten some hate mails because of that. And then they contacted uh, the station and said, "Why? Why would you have that?" For me, it was a pop art thing. For them, it was like representing Palestinians on a Christian channel. Uh, that was interesting. Um, so, yeah. Is he looking? <laughs> okay. Okay, let's, let's have one more question for Salam. And really, I mean, it would be nice if it's from somebody who's, uh, who's known him for a long time. Mr. <clears throat> Bashir Jumblot. Yeah, and... And you can address it to both of us. I mean, whatever you want. All right. Um, my question would be, uh, would you find it nowadays uh, a bit more sensitive to be uh, satirical or to put comedy into serious matters? Yes, uh, that's, that's what I was telling you before. Because um, it's a boiling point nowadays, yes. you know? And not just here. It's worldwide. And I, and I take Noor Hajar's example um, because I, I sort of did not agree. I mean, I respected his decision, but I did not agree when he apologized. Because I know for a fact that this religious group is so not fair and corrupted. Uh, so I think it's the... The audience is super sensitive because there was no justice done in anything, in any case. This would create anger. And apparently, there's a report that says that we and Iraqis are the angriest people in the world. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I kept questioning why. Why are we the angriest people? And I think because there's no injustice. Um, and that, frustra that frustration brings out anger in people. So, yeah, people are sensitive nowadays. And because of social media, people feel that they should be relevant by commenting. Um, even if their opinion was shit, but they would feel better about themselves when they comment. Um, and mostly it's hateful comments. So, and some of them adopted that cancel culture. Um, 
So, so yeah, I, I believe um, comedy is in danger and satire is in danger. Political satire is in danger. Uh, John Stewart stopped uh, on on Apple uh, TV his show because he was criticizing China and Apple is doing business with China. So, anyways, I think the whole comedy scene is in danger from what uh, that was for like the past five years, and now it's at its peak. His new show was not really satire, right? It was more. Uh... It was more almost like investigative to a degree. And it was. It was. It was both. It was, it was like both. A, yeah. Yeah. John Oliver mixed with John Stewart. Right. Yeah. So I'll wrap it up with a final thought, um, and this is taking satire to a sort of a looking at it in in history. I think countries when they go through change in a fundamental way, I think the role of satire. I think alleviates a lot of pain. And I think humor does that service, which is for the benefit of society at large, despite criticism from the fringes. I think satire is a valuable tool. And I would go all the way here. In the middle of an uprising in Cairo, we remember Basim Yusuf. And I think he shaped a lot of how we felt at that moment not being there. And I think that movement gained immensely from him, even when he was forced out, even if he's in California. Well, that's a good point. Even Why was he forced yeah, out? And I'll say, I'll say it. I watched him uh, live in New York a few years ago. Yeah. It didn't feel right. It felt like he was trying to be someone else. And that, to yeah. me, is not the satirist anymore. That's almost like the political commentator yeah but he's trying to survive as well sure and making use of his uh situation but regardless you still want to listen to him and you want to know what he's saying john stewart went through that story too he went he tried to be political to a degree we people listen and now he's on a show that got canceled he'll find a way back eventually you have sketch comedy all over the world. It's not something new. It's old now. You know Saturday Night Live and that kind of political role it plays with someone like Trump. We know Alec Baldwin now. And we remember him always yeah, for that. That's because, um, because the producer is a left Democrat. Uh, sure. Uh, all the circumstances aside. Which is, which is uh, not a problem. Right. Using, I think there know, was a moment in Lebanese momentum post 2005 pre 2019 somewhere in that story around you stink mostly i think there was an attempt here that you pioneered and regardless of what you do today in the future nobody's going to forget you for what you did you left your mark um, and, and i want to end it by saying i think you will find the right platform once more i think it's a matter of time and I look forward to watching you on television, even when you've divorced yourself from that medium. <laughs> I think Wissam does as well. Thank I think you. a lot of us do. And it's okay if October 17, people are turning to you and saying, didn't your dream come true? It means they remembered what you were saying, even when you're reluctant. Yes. So let me end it there. Salam al-Zatari. Thank you for joining this podcast. And thanks to the Thank audience you. as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. One more thing, one more thing. No, yeah. no, no, one more thing. There's no episode next week. 
There'll be one in two weeks from now. Uh, anyone that wants to follow Salem Al Zaatari, follow him on his Instagram. His Twitter is locked forever. <laughs> I swear, yeah, I know. I know. But, but can, I, can I make a let shout me, out? Well, let me finish, then you make the shout out. Don't worry. Um, follow him on This Is Lebanon podcast, Huna Lebanon. He's doing his own craft there, and it's worth watching. I was on it a few weeks ago. If you want to get into the more Lebanese history politics stuff, we spent an hour and a half doing that sober. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that more. Yeah, so it's a different tone. And uh, anyone that wants to reflect, a lot of the YouTube clips are still there. You can find your work online. Look him up, search for him, BBC, CNN, all the other stuff you did along the way too. Anyway, that's my way of saying thank you. I know the situation is shit. I know. I know thank you were you. reluctant a few weeks ago. Thank you so much. And now I, you yeah. opened your heart a bit tonight, so it means a lot to me. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I didn't probably get most of my points, probably, or uh, because... because uh, Neither fuck. did I. I had Is all the, of them right here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> wish, I, I wish you interrupted me more. But I want to also say shout out. Um, I have this channel, me and a friend of mine. He was a genius hacker, but he's always stupid when I'm around. <laughs> it's called Arabia Unboxing. Uh, and we're doing gadgets and experiments. And actually... I like that better than my whole career, that what I did. It's very weird. And I see um, sometimes the engagement of, uh, engagement of people with, with that channel, which is now we have like 150,000 subscribers. But I like that. It's a completely different thing that I, I'm, I'm doing. So anyways, go and follow us on Arabia Unboxing, where we unbox gadgets. And talk about it. And joke. I'll embed it in the episode as well. Thank you, Salam. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everyone that came. <laughs> Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs> <laughs>